So it, it's a hymn responding to a particular, oh, obviously wow. serious yeah. uh, disaster in the farming community in, mm-hmm. in his day. Uh, and he wrote a hymn about it. Yeah. I can't imagine singing about cows. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, some of our modern worship songs are pretty bizarre. So. <laughs> yeah. That, that one, I don't think that one's made it into many hymn books. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Hymn Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funke. And today we are interviewing special guest Dr. Robert Strivens. We will be discussing the life and ministry of Philip Doddridge, a noteworthy dissenting pastor and hymn writer. If you've never heard of Doddridge before, stay tuned and get ready to be encouraged. But first, if you haven't already, head over to hymnpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. This allows us to keep in touch with you when the pesky algorithms of social media decide to up and change. Plus, the weekly newsletter contains all sorts of fun bonus content, including exclusive videos that our subscribers get to see first. In this week's bonus clip, we will be talking with Dr. Strivens about his take on old hymns being retuned. It was a great debate, and we may have named and shamed one of Monet's favorite nostalgic jams. (laughs) But if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up yet, you will have to wait to gain access to that content on our YouTube page, because if you snooze, you lose. So don't miss out next time. Go over to hymnpartial.com, sign up for our free weekly newsletter today. Yes, they did name and shame one of my tunes, but you're going to have to listen to that bonus clip to find out what tune it is. Um, But I really um, loved learning about Philip Doddridge. Our guest, Dr. Robert Strivens, was really kind and and knowledgeable, really humble. Um, I, I particularly liked learning about the marriage between Philip Doddridge and his wife and just how real life it was and how much they kind of were dedicated and devoted to each other. Um, it was a, a really, really interesting bit of, of fun fact about that guy. Yes, it was really sweet and you can actually get their letters still today, so that's nice. Um, it was kind of cute um, in the sense that it just made him so human. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I found encouraging was Philip Doddridge's conviction so he was a dissenter which meant Mm. that he kind of rebelled against the Church of England and and some of their uh, issues and I really appreciated that because I'm a Baptist and we have a a long history of not necessarily going with the state church Um, so I really appreciated his conviction when it came to his theology and also just his faithfulness as a Mm. pastor throughout his life. So, without further ado, here's the interview. Robert Strivens is pastor of Bradford-on-Avon Baptist Church, where he has been since 2017. Before that, he was principal of London Seminary for nearly 10 years. He continues to teach some church history at the seminary and elsewhere. He has a PhD from Stirling University, which focused on the life and thought of Philip Doddridge. Robert's current research and writing projects include the history and theology of Puritan worship and the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. He is married to Sarah and they have three sons and four grandchildren. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. 
Uh, we're really excited to get you on because uh, our format usually includes us talking about um, a hymn writer or hymn tunes or the history of a hymn text. And I think um, I think we, for, as a first instance, get a lot of value from that. And I think our listeners do as well. It helps us to be really mindful when we go into our worship services and sing these hymns. Um, but as Cara mentioned, you did you did uh, a lot of hard work on on Philip Doddridge, and you wrote a book called mm-hmm. Philip Doddridge and the Shaping of Evangelical Descent. Can you tell us about who this guy was, mm. and give us a brief outline of his life? Sure. Well, he lived in the uh, first half of the 18th century, so his dates are 1702 to 1751. Mm-hmm. So he died quite young, uh, 49 years of age. Mm. And most people know him, well, a lot of people have heard of his, probably his most famous work, which is The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul, Mm. which is still in print. I think it's never been out of print. Uh, Or they know him as a hymn writer, because uh, in most hymn books, there are a few of his hymns, at Mm. least. Uh, But he was much more than that. He was Primarily, he was a pastor. He pastored a church in Northampton, quite a big congregational church in Northampton for just over 20 years from 1730 through to his death in 1751. Mm. So he was a pastor and he was also a uh, tutor. He ran what was called a dissenting academy. In those days, if you weren't a member of the Church of England, you could not go to an English university. Cambridge or Oxford were closed to you. And so the dissenters, as they were called, people who didn't go to Anglican churches, um, began to set up their own educational institutions to provide higher education and also, importantly, to train men for the ministry. Mm -hmm. Because obviously at that time for the Anglican church, most men would have trained at Oxford or Cambridge. so he, he set one of those up in Northampton, about 200 men attended. It was only men in those days. Uh, about 200 attended uh, over, over the 20 years, and about 120 of those went into ministry uh, over that period. So that was his kind of main focus of work. That's incredible. I could, I'm not. I I'm not. Could say a lot more about it. <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> I could Don't go on all night. <laughs> well, I just oh, no. I find well, it fascinating because, um, you know, obviously the church history in the UK and England specifically is, is it was so. What is the word? Uh, it was a lot Odd. of yeah. <laughs> but I didn't even realize what being a dissenter really meant, and and having that mm. limited. Um, education mm. option mm. is really when we talked about Isaac Watts he I think got into Oxford or Cambridge one of them he, he was, went to one of the good schools he was similar he, he yeah. was a dissenter he couldn't go to university um, yeah. so he was a good friend of Doddridge's although a kind of generation older mm. 25 years older yeah, um, I remember that he refused a place because he that's was a right. dissenter exactly so he the same happened to Doddridge um, wow. I don't know whether it was a common for these talented dissenters, but, but they were both offered funding to go to university. But in order to do so, they would have had to have joined mm. the Church of England and, and both refused to do so and stuck wow. to their principles. Um, yeah, he, he was an orphan 
he was his Doddridge's parents died um, not at the same time, but but by the time he was a teenager, he was an orphan uh, and was mentored by a pastor in St Albans in Hertfordshire, Samuel Clark. And he it was Samuel Clark really who recognised Doddridge's potential and sent him off to train at a, at another academy in Leicestershire, just outside Northampton. And uh, from there, Doddridge was eventually called to this church in Northampton. Hmm. That's super interesting. Um, I was wondering, though, what first got you interested in Philip Doddridge? Um, and why is his life significant to the church today? I I didn't I I like everybody else knew very little about him uh, until I was asked to give a paper on him at the Westminster Conference um, about well, a long time ago, and um, and to focus on his work as a as as a tutor in running this academy that I've described. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first introduction to Philip Doddridge, and he's a very attractive figure. You know, once mm-hmm. you start studying him and reading him. Um, he was very, very kind. Um, he loved the Lord Jesus. He loved the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved the scriptures. Um, he suffered. I mean, they, he and his wife, he married um, in 1730. They had, I think, nine children between them. Um, five of them died uh, either in infancy or, or, or very young. They had a mm-hmm. daughter, uh, Tetsi, who died, he, he loved, he, well, loved them all, I'm sure, but he loved Tetsi. But she she got ill when she was five and she died. Um, mm. That must have been heartbreaking for them. Yeah. So he's a very, I don't know, he's just a very attractive kind of person. He and his wife had the most wonderful marriage relationship. Um, he used to travel a lot. Mm. And um, so they would write to each other. And a lot of their letters have survived. And really? they are, they're just delightful. Oh. So sort of, you know, humorous and loving mm-hmm. and practical, and um, you know, somebody sometime ought to do a a book on their on their marriage because it would just be delightful reading. Oh, I bet. Oh, and you know, I didn't I didn't appreciate um, until maybe fairly recently how how wonderful it is to look back on people writing to one another and how they mm. encourage each other. I think, you know, in mm. our digital age, we do things so instantly. It's like, oh, yeah. I want to talk to someone. I'm going to text them. Or maybe even if you're, if you're really, you know, if you're really good friends, you'll write them an email, you know, mm. 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 <laughs> but, um, but to have yeah. this form of communication that obviously took time mm. and money and energy. Um, and it's very, to sit there in in a library reading his actual letters, you know, the mm-hmm. actual ink on the page that, mm-hmm. that he, he put there, whatever, 300 years ago, um, writing to his wife or writing to whoever, mm-hmm. is very moving. It's a very moving experience. It is. And I think especially so for Christians when they write to one another to see mm. how regularly they encouraged each other and admonished one another. Like just thinking of um, my husband... Uh, often speaks about John Newton's letters to mm. someone, John Ryland Jr. Is it John Ryland yeah. Jr.? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And right. how how much it edified him, you know, mm. and, and seeing the pastoral heart that, that came from him. And I'm just thinking like, wow, you know, 
would anyone think that of the stuff we write? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, it, it was, yeah, they, they took it very seriously. Um, yeah. And yet they could be humorous as well. Yeah. She wrote to him once. She, he, he'd been away and they evidently needed, needed some work doing on the house. And, and, and she wrote and said, look, unless you get home, I'm going to organize this and an <laughs> extension to the kitchen or something. It all sounds terribly modern. You know? And um, she says, you know, I could, I'll have to do it myself. And we'll, we'll show you men that we, we women can organize these things just as much as you. <laughs> we don't need you. Great. No, that's great. So, I mean, why do you think, why do you think we should really be thinking of him today in the church like what 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 is of his life and ministry is is beneficial to the church today i think a number of things um just one thing just what we've been talking about is the quality of his relationships um Mm. with his wife with his family with his friends um like you were saying just now about communications you know they they took he took great trouble over his friendships Mm-hmm. nurtured them um, and I think we can learn from that um, and then his his preaching his concern for his congregation um, he, he had a tremendous concern for young people uh, he preached and published a series of sermons addressed specifically to young people mm. um, urging them to take the faith seriously uh, to, to come to faith if they were not converted to walk with Christ um, if they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his commitment to training men for ministry training in new generation is, is inspiring. Um, and, and his wholehearted commitment to the gospel, you know, I mean, he believed in leisure, he believed in relaxation, he believed in enjoying the good things that God has given us, but, but it was all part of his wholehearted devotion to Christ really Mm. Um, I think all those things are very valuable and and we can learn from them today definitely Um, so what would you say what role like what role did hymns or hymn writing Mm. play into his life and ministry because you said obviously people would know some of his songs being in their hymnals probably Mm. today what Mm. role did that really play he obviously thought him singing was important um, because he used to write a hymn to be sung after the sermon, I think in the evening or afternoon service more than the morning, but yeah, he would, he would write. So we'd write a hymn for that purpose based on the text, whatever he preached on the message, he would write a hymn uh, for them all to sing afterwards. Um, so he obviously felt it was important. Uh, as I said earlier, he's a friend, he was a friend of Isaac Watts. Um, who oh, yeah. really obviously, uh, brought about a revolution in in him singing mm, in yeah. the in the church. Um, yeah, so uh, and and his hymns, you know, he was he was good. He was not as good as Watts as a hymn writer. <laughs> it's hard to be, <laughs> but um, he was he was a good hymn writer. Um, so there's they were published after his death. His assistant Job Autumn, who had worked with him for many years, um, collected them after Doddridge's death and published them. Mm. And uh, so you can get those on, on the internet. But, but much more recently, um, a guy called Graham Ashworth um, did a 
PhD, I think, or a master's anyway, on, on Doddridge's hymns and has mm-hmm. published them. So you and, and I think it's, it's Reformation Heritage thing, yeah. So Reformation Heritage books um, have published this. So you can get a nice, nicely produced modern edition of Doddridge's Ooh. hymns in the order that he published them in or his assistant published them in. Uh, yeah, it's great. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, Graham Ashworth, Reformation Heritage. And so, yeah, the they're, they're good. I mean, to be quite honest, I was looking at them previously in, in preparation for this. You know, there are probably quite a few that we wouldn't we wouldn't sing today, mm. um, either because the language is too antiquated or sounds a bit odd mm-hmm. uh, or whatever. But just devotionally to use them, they're still, I think, they'd still be very valuable. Mm-hmm. It's interesting uh, in a few recent and not so recent episodes we've had this recurring theme of pastors who write hymns for their congregations mm. um so that's interesting that that's coming up again mm. it seemed mm. to be the done thing for a long time seemed to have i suppose it. there wouldn't have been very many um you know you wouldn't have necessarily had a hymn book to hand with lots of people's hymns in because it was just getting going really wasn't it mm-hmm. at this point um mm. so that might have been one reason I think access yeah. probably has something to do with it as well. Mm. We were, we were um, talking about the origins of the gospel music um, mm. uh, genre in the States. And one of the kind of fathers of, of gospel music basically took his tunes like a, like a door-to-door salesman from mm. church to church and sold them for like, I don't know, a, a dime or mm. something. Mm. And that's mm. how his, his hymns became popular because he mm. was he was he was just the distributor, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you you but, do think access has a lot to do with why. That's maybe. right. I think so. Watts's early hymns were published, published fairly early on, but I don't think Doddridge's hymns were not published particularly. Sometimes he would put one in um, with a sermon. If he published a sermon, he might put the hymn at the end as well, mm-hmm. but there was no collection of them until much later. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what are some of the features of Philip Doddridge's hymns that make them noteworthy? Is there anything particularly stylistic or a particular theological emphasis that he was known for? Yes, that's a, a good question. Um, he, it covers a, he covers a broad range of themes. I mean, you can imagine if he's um, writing us a, a hymn a week, uh, based on whatever he's preaching on, he's going to cover a broad range of themes and a broad range of texts, which is which is good and helpful. Um, they're Calvinistic. He, he means Calvinistic in his theology. Um, they're, you know, they're they're good biblical uh, material. There's a I was looking again looking through them recently again for this program. They they um, they probably emphasise sin and judgment and self-examination and repentance more than a lot of the hymns we might sing today, mm. um, which I think is a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not all joy and triumph and that sort of, you know, they, yeah. they, they are reflective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are hymns, quite a lot of hymns on the family, 
Uh, he was very, very keen wow. on family worship. Mm. Uh, really wanted to help people who perhaps were not didn't feel very good at it to to conduct family worship at mm. households. Mm. Um, that was an important part of his his life. Mm. And so there are some hymns on that subject, um, and and hymns on national events and calamities. So I oh, came yeah. across this this one on uh, there'd obviously been a serious problem with cattle dying at some point so can i read this yes <laughs> right. so uh, it begins general verse about the animals and then it says verse two oh look from thine exalted throne and hear our panting cattle moan prone o'er the untasted food they lie groan out their agonies and die what have these harmless creatures done to draw this sore chastisement down and so on? So it, it's a hymn responding to a particular, oh, obviously wow. serious yeah. uh, disaster in the farming community mm. in, in his day. Uh, and he wrote a hymn about it. Yeah. I can't imagine singing about cows. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, some of our modern worship songs are pretty bizarre. So. <laughs> yeah. That, that one, I don't think that one's made it into many hymn books. <laughs> um, he was also very patriotic. So there are hymns, as is true of Isaac Watts, there are hymns about Britain, mm -hmm. um, either uh, thanking God for victories um, in, in war, because mm -hmm. there were a number of wars during Doddridge's lifetime, mm -hmm. or, or um, pleading with God for mercy mm -hmm. uh, on, on the land. Um, mm -hmm. But again, they're quite... Explicit. He doesn't mind mentioning Britain uh, by name in his hymns, um, and and again, we probably wouldn't we probably wouldn't sing them today, yeah. not in that form anyway. No, but that's that's actually kind of encouraging, though, to hear that he had these very personal, um, time-specific hymns because he mm. saw. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but he saw the um, the kingship, the lordship um, of of our God in in those situations. You know, to to look at um, a natural disaster and to sing praises or to sing lament to mm. the Lord. That that actually is kind of like, well, why don't we think this way when it comes mm. to worship? That's a, absolutely absolutely right. I, I think that's exactly right. He. You know, they believed, as we do, I'm sure, um, in God's providence um, and, and his sort of immediacy of his presence and the consequence of his acts in what was happening around them. And they reflected that. He reflected that in, in his songs. So this has me wondering, um, this is not a trick question, it's, it's just my brain, but <laughs> do you think then that there, there are some songs that are for the times and there are some songs that are timeless and it's okay to have both. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, a lot of his hymns would be timeless and you know, they just express biblical truth, which is timeless, but others are most definitely tied to their time. So in, in towards the end of his life, 1745, there was the Jacobite uh, uprising mm. uh, in Scotland and they, they the, the army came south as, as I'm sure you know, and they, they got quite close to where Doddridge was living in Northampton. They got down to Derby, which isn't very far away. 
And um, the town of Northampton was was really on military alert. Doddridge actually helped to raise some troops, uh, volunteer troops, for the defence of the town uh, because they felt they were on the path mm. that the rebels were taking. Um, but then they turned they turned around at Derby and went back north and were defeated, of course, um, by the English forces eventually. And and he wrote a song. He wrote a hymn about that. Um, so can I read you a bit of that as well? Yes. Yeah. It says, The Lord's avenging sword is nigh, in uproar wild their legions fly, and stores so late their boast and joy their own despairing hands destroy. Praise to the Lord who bows his ear, propitious to his people's prayer, and though deliverance long delay, answers in his well-chosen day. So, you know, again, very kind of of the moment. Yeah. Um, just referring to the particular way in which that battle um, worked out in 1746. I like those last couple of lines about mm. like he delays but he does answer. He does answer, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so you've obviously given us some some snippets of some very kind of noteworthy time-specific hymns from him. Can you recommend some hymns for those of us who are unfamiliar with him and maybe want to sing, you know, sing it in our family devotions or maybe consider them for Sunday worship? Yes. Um, in the in Christian hymns, in the revised edition of Christian hymns, I counted there are 19 Doddridge hymns. So there are quite a few yes. still around. Um, so you'd know some of them. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. He wrote that. Mm. Uh, not the chorus. Um <laughs> And they would have sung it to a different tune, I'm sure. But um, he wrote he wrote that. I mean, that's a great hymn. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. It's, yeah. it's, you know, speaking of his conversion, um, yes. and he was always he was always really overwhelmed by the fact that Christ had saved him. Mm. Never got over that, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, Hark the glad sound, the Savior comes. That's Doddridge. Uh, Grace is a charming sound. That's another one. Ooh. Uh, my gracious Lord, I own thy right to every service I can pay. And he wrote some communion hymns. Um, my God and is thy table spread. You may know that one. Um, it's a lovely, lovely hymn. Does thy cup with love o'erflow? Thither be all thy children led and let them all its sweetness know. Hail, sacred feast which Jesus makes. Rich banquet of his flesh and blood. Thrice happy he who here partakes that sacred stream that heavenly food. Um, one I like is, O God of Jacob, by whose hand my people still are fed. Um, wow. So, yeah, there, there are, you start digging around in the hymn books, there are, there are lots, and um, they're worth singing, they're worth getting to know. Mm. And if you're really keen, you can get Graham Ashworth's book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a paid endorsement, but you should get it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, that I, I think that's really, really helpful. Just knowing about his life a bit, and and knowing um, while he had a short life, how rich it was. You know, thirty mm. years of ministry, mm. just this life of of pouring out his heart for his congregation and hymns every week. Um, you know, him obviously being a man of conviction as mm. a dissenter. Mm. Um, it's wonderful to learn the these bits it's bits for me I'm, I'm not a historian but it's great to learn from um those 
Christians who lived before us and see mm. how, how wonderful their witness still kind of shines even uh, centuries later. So thank you so much for, for kind of giving us that, uh, that little whistle-stop tour through, through the life of, of Philip Doddridge. Cara, did you have any final thoughts or questions for our, our guest? Um, I was thinking about what you were saying about him, and I was just reflecting that he seems like a very loving, faithful person who just kind mm. of like saw the need, saw the work, got on with it, but also mm. like someone who had very strong convictions. Mm. And I was just thinking, like, we need more men like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He um, he died in Portugal. He was he he um, became ill. He, he, this is an example of his kindness, really. He, he went to take the funeral of, this, of his mentor, his friend Samuel Clark in St Albans. And it was wet all the way, he rode all the way through the rain from Northampton to St Albans. And um, that weakened his constitution. I think, I think he probably caught tuberculosis in the end. Um, wow. And his friends eventually said, look, we need to make you better because we want you to live so you can continue to teach students and train up men for the ministry and preach and so on. Um, so they sent him off to Portugal, to Lisbon, uh, with his wife. They paid for him uh, to, to go out there. But sadly, it was October, and they probably didn't realise this, but Lisbon in October is tends to be cold and wet. Yes. Um, so there's a, a, a very sad letter from his wife in Lisbon saying... You know, we can't, all the bed sheets are wet. We can't, we can't get anything dry at all uh, for him, for Philip. Yeah. And um, yeah, he died out there. So he's buried in Lisbon. Wow. Yeah. You imagine his poor wife having to come home yeah. uh, alone uh, on that mm. voyage. Um, she lived another, she lived till 1790, I think. She was quite, wow. you know, she lived, lived to a good old age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She was quite formidable. If you go to if you go to his church in in Northampton, which is still there, and speak very nicely to the minister, she he or she may may show you um, Mrs. Doddridge's slippers. Oh. <laughs> she owned a pair of pink slippers, which, which are still there in the church. I've seen them. <laughs> I have friends in Northampton, so next time I go down, I'll badger them to take me. We need to see her slippers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, if uh, if folks want to learn more about Philip Doddridge, they should get the book, Philip Doddridge and the Shaping of Evangelical Descent by our wonderful guest, Robert Strivens. Um, you have some exciting work coming up. It looks like you're doing work on Puritan worship and the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Where we can like the 1689. We do like the 1689. <laughs> Where can people follow you to keep tabs on your work? Oh, I'm not very good at that. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> yes, we will I am put... On, I'm on Facebook as well, but I hardly ever put anything on. I have a blog, but I, you know, sometimes write <laughs> things on the blog, but sometimes not. So I can get, I can send you the details and you can, you can put them on whatever. Yes, we definitely will. We'll put it in the description below. Great. But thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. It's been great to, to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you.